Hello, welcome. I'm Jeffrey, ordained minister and chaplain at JHE Ministries, and I'm glad you joined us today for another episode of JHE Ministries Bible Study, where we study God's Word. If you have your Bible, turn to chapter 11, verse 14, and let's get into it. Last time we continued with the subject of prayer that began with the disciples asking Christ to teach them to pray. This time we'll see the growing opposition where Jesus will answer his critics. Now, the section here, a house divided cannot stand. We have Jesus and Beelzebub, or the story of this. And this event shows the real nature of the increasing opposition that Jesus faced. The Beelzebub controversy leads to the sign of Jonah, continues with the woes against the unbelieving religious leaders, and concludes with a comment regarding Jesus's mother, together with a statement that obedience to God's word is more important than even the closest human ties to Jesus. As in Matthew and Mark, this incident shows that Jesus's hearers must choose between good, which is Jesus, the spirit and God's kingdom, and evil, which we are talking about Satan and his demons. The issue was nothing less than the source of Jesus's authority and power. And this is especially important for Luke, who is deeply aware of the importance of the supernatural as a testimony that Jesus is the promised Messiah. And this climax of the passage will come in verse 20. So turn with me to our scriptures, to verse 14. And let's begin. And he was talking about the demon, and it was mute. So it was when the demon out that spoke, and was marveled. But some of them said, he cast out of demons. Others testified a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say, I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Before they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with anger, God has come to you. When a strong farm guards his own place, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes him from all of his armor, which he trusted, and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, verses 14 to 16, I want to take a look at them together. The setting of this account of the Beelzebub controversy is the healing of a deaf mute. Casting out a demon that had caused Jesus quite a stir on people. Such a healing was among signs of his messiahship that Jesus had reminded John the Baptist that we see in chapter 7, verse 22. Once more, the crowds are amazed at Jesus' power over demons. And while the multitudes marveled, others became more openly opposed to the Lord. The crowd is divided. However, between those who either oppose him outright by attributing his power to head demon Beelzebub, or him an even more dramatic sign, which constitutes a testing or provocation. Now, this opposition took two principal forms. 
Some accused him of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of demons, and others suggested that he should perform a sign from heaven. Perhaps their idea was that this might disprove the charge that he had been made against himself. And we see in verses 17 to 18, the accusation that he cast out demons because by Beelzebub is answered here. What for a sign will be answered in verse 29. Now, first of all, Jesus knew their thoughts, and he responds. The Lord Jesus reminded them that every kingdom divided against itself is destroyed. A house divided against itself will fall. If he was a tool of Satan in casting out demons, then Satan was fighting against his own underlings. And it's ridiculous to think that the devil would pose himself and obstruct his own purposes. We have the Lord remains his critics. But some of the countrymen were at the very time casting out evil spirits. And if he did it by the power of Satan, then it necessarily follows that they must be doing it by the same power. Of course, the Jews would never be willing to admit this. And yet, how could they deny the force of the argument? The power to cast out demons came either from God or or from Satan. It had to be one or the other. It could not be both. If Jesus acted by the power to condemn Jesus was to condemn them. The head of any army would hardly work with the enemy against his own troops. And moreover, if demons are exercised by the power of their own leader, how do the Jews explain the power their own exorcists are supposed to have? So verse 20, we have the true explanation that is of Jesus cast out demons with the finger of God. Now, what did he mean by the finger of God? Jesus read, but cast out demons by the Spirit of God, sure the kingdom of God has come upon you. So, we conclude that the finger of God is the same as the Spirit of God. The fact that Jesus was casting out demons by the Spirit of God was evidence, indeed, that the kingdom of God had come upon the people of that generation. The kingdom had come in person, of the king himself. The very fact that the Lord Jesus was there performing such miracles was proof positive that God's anointed root had history. The magicians in Egypt were unable to duplicate all the miracles Moses did before the Exodus. They said to Pharaoh, this, the finger of God, God himself. If this is true, then Jesus is driving out demons is a Masonic sign that the kingdom of God has arrived. And Jesus' Jesus's illustration shows the drastic antithesis between the powers of evil, darkness, and Satan on the one hand, or of God and the light on the other. So up until now, as we arrive here in verses 21 to 22, Satan was a strong man. He was fully armed, who held undisputed sway over his court. Those who were possessed by demons were kept in his grip, and there was no one to challenge him. His goods were in peace, that is, no one had the power to dispute his sway. The Lord Jesus was stronger than Satan. He came upon him, and he overcame him, took all of his armor from him, and fought. Now his critics denied that evil spirits were being cast out. This could only mean that Satan had been conquered and that his victims were being, were being liberated. And that is the point of these verses. 
And in verse 23, Jesus added that anyone who is not with him is against him. And anyone who does not gather with him scatters abroad. A man is either on the way or in the way. We have already mentioned the scene contradiction between this verse and chapter 9. A man who is not for Christ is against him. But when it is a matter of Christian service, those who are not against Christ's servants are for them. In the first verse, it is a matter of salvation. In the second, a matter of service. And in the parable of the strong man guarding his own house, we have a principal reference to Jesus's tactics in his war against Satan. The ultimate action means of Jesus's victory is the cross. Jesus's means the gospel for Jesus as the one who brings kingdom. Whoever does not gather the sheep scatters them by default and thus works counter to that of Jesus. Now let's take a look at another quick section here, an unclean spirit returns with verses 24 to 26. So turn with me to the scriptures as we review that. And verse 24 begins, when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, in rest, and finding none, said my house from the king, he kind swept and put in order. Then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Evil spirit means demons. And in these verses, a spiritual renewal has taken place, but without the indwelling of the spirit and the power of Christ's kingdom. Perhaps this refers to the work of the Jewish exorcist that was mentioned back in verse 19. In order to abode, it enlists the aid of some demons, even worse than itself. And we can see the contrast of the seven spirits before the throne in the book of Revelations, chapter 1, verse 4. The demons settle down there, which is the same verb that's used in Ephesians, chapter 3, verse 17, of Christ's full indwelling. It seems that the Lord is turning the tables on his critics. They have accused him and demon-possessed. He now likened their nation to a man who had been heard of demon possession and ruined their history. Prior to captivity, the nation of Israel had possessed with the demon of idolatry. But the captivity rid them of that evil spirit, and since then the Jews have never been given over to idolatry. Their house has been swept and put in order, but they have refused to let the Lord Jesus come in and take possession. Therefore, he predicted that in a coming day, the unclean spirit would gather seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they would house help first to the terrible form of idolatry, which the Jewish nation will adopt during the tribulation period. They will acknowledge the Antichrist to be God, and the punishment for this sin will be greater than the nation has ever endured before. Now, while this illustration refers primarily to Israel's national history, it also points up the insufficiency of mere repentance or reformation in an individual's life. It's not enough to turn over a new life. The Lord Jesus Christ must be welcomed into life. Otherwise, life is open to enter by more vile forms of sin than ever has been indulged in before. Now, with that, let's start here with another section here. 
We are going to have with verses 27 and 28, keeping the word. And verse 27 says, and it happened as he spoke these things, that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice, said to him, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. But he said, a certain woman came from the crowd to hail Jesus with the words. And those words were, blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you. And the reply of Christ was most significant. He did not deny that Mary, his mother, was blessed, but he went beyond this. And he said that it was even more important to hear the word of God and to keep it. In other words, even the Virgin Mary was more blessed in believing on Christ and following him than she was as spiritual. This should be sufficient to silence those who would make Mary an object of adoration. Now, this saying provides another instance of Luke's identification of Jesus's sayings as the word of God. It must not be taken as reflecting unfavorably on Mary. That's important to keep in mind. Now, I want to take a quick side note here with the, with the time that we have left. I want to talk about the Word of God. So, we are blessed rather than those who hear the Word of God and obey it. We are awash in a tidal wave of words. We are assaulted constantly by written and spoken words that drown out the still, quiet voice of the Word of God. It takes effort to sit still, to shut out all other noises and voices, and to read and listen to the Word of God. Not read books about the Word or listen to Christian radio or watch religious TV, but read and listen to the Word of God. Jesus not if we could have been listening to His Word, which are essential to life is breathing and eating. And let's take a quick look at some of the examples that we have from Scripture. And first, as we've already studied, in Bethany, Mary sat at his feet and listened to his word. Jesus said that Mary had chosen what is better. Now this comes out of Luke chapter 10, verse 42. And again from the book of Luke, chapter 8, verses 19 to 21, when someone came and said, Your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. Jesus answered, My mother and my brothers are those who are guided in practice. Jesus also said in Luke 8, verse 11, the sick kingdom is the word of God. And we find in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, a soul can be born into the kingdom of God only through the seed of the kingdom, the word of God. Matthew 4, verse 4, it says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And back in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, if a man does not believe the scriptures, neither will he believe even if somebody were to rise. For example, in the book of Matthew chapter 24, verse 9, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Then John chapter 1, verse 1, we find that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then finally, as a last example, we have John chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Just a little food for thought there. And that does conclude our session for today. Next, we get into sign up. So until then, God bless you and keep living Christian strong.